This sermon has been made possible by Freedom Health Ministries. If you would like to learn more about health evangelism, go to freedomhealthministries.com. If you would like to learn more about how to reverse autoimmune diseases, go to reverseautoimmune.com. As you see from your bulletin, the title of this message is How to Be Happy, Part 3. So that means there's been two parts prior to this. And um, I'll do a quick summary of what we've covered prior to this. So you are uh, fully aware of all that we've covered. Um, But I first want to say, whenever I preach a sermon, I usually ask myself, how does this apply to God's people living in the last days? And I asked myself this question as I started putting this series together. And I realized, you know, a big part of the first angel's message is to give God glory. Amen? And you know, we can't give God glory unless we have joy, unless we're happy. And I think we need more uh, happy Adventists out there, more happy Christians. And so I truly hope that by the end of this sermon series, it will literally bring you more happiness. You'll have more tools in your life to have more joy, and God's joy and radiance would just be coming out of you, and that people would see that and would just realize that you have something that they need. Amen? So we've gone over six happiness beliefs from Scripture so far. Here they are in quick order. Number one, you may remember, I am not a victim. It's happiness belief number one. Number two, I don't exist to be happy. I exist to love and obey God. That's happiness belief number two. Number three, I don't exist to be happy. I exist to bless others. Number four, my unanswered prayers are because God is preparing to do something better than what I'm praying for. It's belief number four. Happiness belief number five. I'm exactly where I need to be right now to correct the issues that got me here in the first place. That's number five. Number six, my value is based on what Jesus did for me, not what I do for anyone. So I wish I had time to unpack all those, but we've already done that. And with that being said, let's go on to number seven. We're going to cover three more today, totally nine. Happiness belief number seven. I really like this one. I like all of them, but I really, I think I'm partial to this one. If I can't be happy now, I won't be happy then. What do I mean by that? Please open your Bibles with me to the scripture reading. Well, at least that chapter. Let's go to John chapter 11 together. John 11, starting verse 20. We're going to look at a very interesting interaction between Jesus and Martha. Now, who knows what's going on in John chapter 11? Anyone know what this chapter is about? Yeah, Lazarus died and was raised to life. And so at this point in the story, Lazarus had died. They had buried him and Jesus showed up, according to them, late. And he's greeted by Martha. Let's pick it up in verse 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. So Jesus comes, Martha rushes up to meet him, and she says, Lord, if thou what? had been here. What tense did she use? Past tense. So according to Martha, at this time, where was Christ's power? It was in the past. He could have done something a few days ago, right? Notice, let's keep going. Verse 22, but I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. And Jesus said unto her, 
thy brother shall rise again. Notice what Martha says, verse 24. Martha said unto him, I know he shall rise again when? In the resurrection, in the last day. So where's Christ's power now? It's in the future. And you know, this is so interesting. Martha is portraying a very common human characteristic. God is the God of the past. He's the God of the future, but he's never the God of right now. He is able to do mighty things back then. He's the God of the past. He opened the Red Sea. He's the God of the past. He rained manna from heaven. He did all these wonderful things. He's the God of the future. He's going to pour out the latter rain. He's the God of the future. He's going to bring the seven last plagues. He's going to come with power in the second coming. But he's not the God of right now. Do you see how Martha's doing that? Jesus, you could have raised him yesterday. You'll raise him at the last day, but not today. You can't raise him today. Because you're not the God of the present. You're the God of the past, who was mighty back then. You're the God of the future. You're mighty in the future. But right now, apparently, you don't have much power. And you know, we as humans often do this. And in many of our minds, we don't believe in a God of the present. He was mighty in the past. We believe he parted the Red Sea. He's mighty in the future. But right now, my problems are too big. My problems are too big. And... You know, um, we get in a tight spot. We say, ah, you know, maybe I just need to tell a little white lie, you know, to wiggle out of this. We talked about the Sabbath. Oh, my job's asking me to work on the Sabbath. I got to pay rent. I'll just work one. So he could part the Red Sea, but he can't pay your rent. He could come in power in the second coming, but he can't help your relationships today. He's the God of the past. He's the God of the future, but he's not the God of of the present. But notice what Jesus says. Let's go to our scripture reading, verse 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And when Jesus said he shall live, he was referring to the second coming, obviously, but also in, in reference to Lazarus, he was referencing to in a few minutes. Jesus is bringing out, he demonstrated through the story, I am the God of today. And you know, you never really live in yesterday or tomorrow. You live in today. And so I hope your God is the God of today. I hope your God is the God of power that could do something right now with the problems you're dealing with right now in your life. And I love how Jesus says to Martha, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. I am the solution to your every problem. I'm the answer to your every question. Do you have any questions? Do you have any problems? Jesus points to himself. I'm the resurrection. You have a problem, your brother is dead. I'm the resurrection. You have a problem. You have trouble with your finances. I'm the God of finances. You have a problem in some relationship. I'm the God of relationships. And he points to himself as the answer. Powerful. Jesus has the power to raise dead people now. Amen? You know, Jesus has the power to miraculously heal people from chronic illnesses now. Jesus has the power to rain manna down from heaven if he wanted to right now if he sees it to be best for you and for the great controversy. He's not just the God of the past or the future. He's the God of right now. And you know, what we do with God's power, we also do with happiness. The devil is always tempting us. Think about this, friends. The devil is always tempting us to think that happiness is some event that's going to happen in the future or that happiness is something that has happened in the past. People are always daydreaming of some future happiness. Let me give you some illustrations. 
Oh, I can't wait till I graduate from high school. Do you remember those days? Can't wait till I get out of this place. I can't wait till I move out on my own. I can't wait till I finish college. Now I can't wait to start to pay off my college debt. I can't wait till I graduate and get a job. I can't wait till I get a better job. I can't wait till I get married. I can't wait till my marriage gets better. I can't wait till I'm more successful. Oh, I'm so busy. Our business is booming. I can't wait till I have more time. I can't wait till I retire. But then you know what? We get to our later years and the devil switches and he starts doing something else. You know what he starts doing then? Man, I wish I had the energy of when I was 16. Man, when I was 18, I didn't have a care in the world. Life was so carefree. I wish I had the skin of when I was 20. I wish I had the body of when I was 25. You know, college was so fun. Now I'm just chained to this desk. Before we were married, before we had kids, before we had a mortgage. And so the devil, he steals your present by always pointing into the future. Happiness is some event that's going to happen over there. When you retire, when you graduate, when you get married, when you pay your debt off, that's where happiness is going to be. And then you get there and he goes, oh, remember back then how nice it was? And now happiness is always in the past. It was always something that happened, some good old days that you weren't even enjoying at the time because you were too worried worrying about the future and coming to some future event. And the devil has stole your present. He has stole your right now. He's taken it from you. And I don't think God is pleased with this because you have blessings right now that you won't have in 10 years. And in 10 years, you'll have blessings then that you won't have right now. There is something that God wants you to enjoy about right now. There's something in your life that you won't have maybe in, even in a few weeks or in a few months, some special, wonderful thing. And it, the devil robs it, and God isn't pleased because these are gifts that he's given you, and we're letting him rob his, uh, God's gifts to us. If I can't be happy now, I won't be happy then. Notice what the Bible says. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy, the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with what, friends? Contentment is great gain. What is contentment? We can interact a little bit. Anyone want to throw out a definition of what you think contentment might mean? Being happy with what? What you have. Just happy with what you have right now. Do you have a lot? Be content with it. Do you have a little? Be content with that. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. You know why I think it's great gain? Because you gain the present. It's not robbed from you anymore. You own it. You're, you're experiencing, you're enjoying it. You are experiencing the present that God wanted you to experience. And most people don't realize this, but happiness is a skill. It's not just a feeling. It's a skill. It's something you develop. It it's, it's, has more to do with who you are than where you are. It has more to do with who you are than what you have. Happiness is your character. It's not circumstances. Sure, circumstances can lend to it, but when it comes down to it, happiness is you. It's who you are as a person, the skills you have, the ability you have to enjoy what God has given you right now. Um, you know, our, through our website, reverseautoimmune.com, and our YouTube channel, a lot of people contact us who are sick with chronic illnesses. 
And I find myself often repeating to them what God taught me, probably the most important thing God taught me when I was going through my battle with autoimmune disease and reminding them that God had to help me see how my, my affliction, my chronic illness was actually benefiting me. I was actually gaining from it. I wasn't losing. I wasn't being subtracted from. I wasn't being deficited. I was gaining. God was giving me experience that was precious. And um, I had to understand that. And that helps so much with our attitude through suffering. And God had to teach me not to push happiness to some future event that would happen years down the road. When I feel better, when I get healed, when I get my energy back, when I get this back. No, 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 no. Gabriel, it's right now. Enjoy what I've given you right now. Enjoy what I'm doing in your life right now. So the big question is, what's the devil using with you? What's the future event? What's the future thing that the devil's using with you? Just think about it. Is the devil tempting you with some future goal of happiness and robbing your present right now? Good question to ask ourselves. And I admit the devil tempted me this week with this very thing that we're talking about right here. We have a, a, an exciting trip planned to Washington, D.C. We're going to be uh, interviewing a, a plant-based doctor that we're really, really excited about interviewing. We've been trying to get interviews with this guy for close to a year. We finally got it, and we're going to see family. And I had some tough periods this week at work, and I found the devil tempting me. Don't worry. It's good. It'll be, it'll, you'll be happy when you go on that trip. That, it'll be real cool. It'll be fun. And I had to catch myself. No, 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 no. I have to enjoy what God's given me right now. Yeah, work is tough, but there's things right now that God wants me to be blessed with. And God had to remind me, if you can't be happy now, Gabriel, you won't be happy then. If you can't be happy now, you won't be happy then. Now, some people might think, well, wait a minute. Isn't this contrary to the fact that we're actually supposed to be looking forward to heaven as like the best happy time ever? Isn't this teaching contrary to that? And isn't heaven our home? Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. I trust that you're there. In how many things, friends? In everything. Give thanks. For this is the what? The will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know, there's not too many verses where God spells it out. My will is ABC. Here's one of these verses. My will for you is that you give thanks tomorrow. In the past. No, right now. Give thanks right now. God is blessing you right now. God does not want you to overlook those blessings. And sure, I'm looking forward. Anyone looking forward to heaven? Friends, I'm looking forward to heaven. This this world's a tough place, amen? But despite the fact that we're looking forward to heaven as our future fulfillment of ultimate happiness, God actually wants you. He loves you so much. He wants you to be happy right now. There's things right now that you can be very joyful about, that you can be happy about. And when you have that joy, when you have that happiness, especially when life is going hard, your light is going to shine bright and people are going to take notice and they're going to say, that's not human. That's not human. It's not, it's divine. And you're letting divinity shine through you. Can you imagine divinity shining through these poor mortal frames? It's possible. As a matter of fact, God expects it from us. He says, if you link yourself with me, it will happen. That's how certain he is of it. It's it's going to be a natural consequence. You will bear fruit. If you abide in me, it's just going to happen. Just like the, the, um, the vine bears, uh, grapes, if it's connected. And so God wants us to enjoy those blessings right now. To summarize, God is the God of today, the God of right now. He could, he's 
powerful to work right now. And God says, be grateful, be happy for the blessings that I have given you right now. Why? Because if you can't be happy now, you won't be happy then. Because happiness is a skill and it comes with practice. That's happiness belief number seven. Let's move on to our next one. Happiness belief number eight. I will always be happier doing the right thing. Happiness belief number eight. I will always be happier doing the right thing. Now I'm preaching to the choir, right? And that's kind of like, duh, you know. We've been in church for quite a while, Gabe. Of course you're happier doing the right thing. But if you really think about this, the devil has a very crafty lie around this that I bet you hear in your head often. Before we get into that lie, let's see this concept backed up from Scripture. Proverbs chapter 29. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. And it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. That's the part that usually gets the attention. But the second part's good too. But he that keepeth the law, what's it say? Happy is he. Do you want happiness? Do you want joy? The law, that's what the law is there for. It's to bring us happiness. The Bible promises a blessing for those who keep the law. My Life Today, page 163. Right doing will bring peace and holy joy. Right doing will bring peace and holy joy. Now here's that lie that I was referring to. The devil tells us, yeah, okay, you will be happier doing the right thing, but I mean, you really know, don't do exactly what God says. You got to bend the rules just a little bit according to, you know, the way you feel it needs to be bent. Just a little bit. Pretty much do what he says, but not exactly. That's where happiness is found. It's pretty much following God's law, but, you know, modifying it here and there when you know you need to, when you need to deviate. Is this true? No. Happy is he that keeps 90% of the law? He keeps the law, the Bible says. Now, there's several reasons for this, and um, I can't get into all of them, but I want to talk about a very interesting one. God has implanted something very interesting in your mind. Let's read about it. Well, actually, let me just, uh, instead of going to this passage, it's a little choppy in the King James, so I'm going to read it in the English Standard Version. So it's Romans 14.22, but I'm just going to read it. You could turn there if you like. Romans 14.22. It says, Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. That's an interesting Bible verse. Let me read it again. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. I'm reading the second half of the verse. According to this, can we pass judgment on ourselves? That's what the Bible says. Blessed is the man who doesn't pass judgment on himself for what he approves or what he's approving of, what he's doing, how he's living. It's called a conscience. It's called a conscience. Conscience, it's very interesting. Did you know we can condemn ourselves? Do you know people are suffering? They're miserable. Not even from the condemnation from other people, from self-condemnation. The worst kind of condemnation. And some people are wondering, why aren't I happy? I do all the things that's supposed to make me happy. I've tried everything. I spend money. I eat out a lot. I go on trips. I, I treat myself. And what's happening in some cases is they are suffering from this underlying happiness due to a defiled, suppressed conscience. Let me explain. This is what happens. We gossip and we know, hey, your conscience speaks up. 
You really don't like it when people gossip about you, do you? Well, why are you gossiping about them? Be quiet, conscience. Maybe you're a little dishonest to get ahead a little bit. And the conscience speaks up. Hey, you know, that's not really a fair deal, is it? I mean, you wouldn't want someone to do that to you, would you? Ah, be quiet, conscience. Then some other, maybe someone makes you upset, you're rude to them. Your conscience speaks up. Would you really like someone to talk to you that way? Ah, be quiet, conscience. People don't like hearing that. I call the conscience, it's the embassy of heaven in a mind in rebellion. That's the conscience. It's the embassy of heaven in a mind of rebellion. And the conscience is just going off, condemning you. That's what it's doing. And what do people do? Do they like hearing that? Shut up. Be quiet. They stuff it. They stuff it. They stuff it. And this is what the Bible calls searing the conscience. Another phrase the Bible uses, hardening the heart. And mentally, they suppress the conscience, and successfully, they can quiet that voice till it almost disappears, but at a very expensive price, friends. Suppressing the conscience, well, let me give you an illustration. It's instead of taking your trash out, it's like hiding it somewhere in your house. I don't feel like taking the trash out. I'll just, you know, there's that space behind the couch. I'll just put it there. Oh, it's a week. A week has gone by already. The trash is full. I don't feel like t- walking all the way out to the dumpster. Hey, there's that spot behind the couch. I'm going to hide it there again. Does the trash go away? No, you might not see it. You're suppressing it. You're putting it out of your, your, your mind's eye. But some part of your body is going to start letting you know it still exists. What part would that be? <laughs> your nose. You know, um, as I was putting this together, I thought, sometimes God reminds me of these stories. And I remember an old high school friend who was a notorious slob, just really, really uh, a very dirty teenager. And we were at his house one day, or in his bedroom, and we found a bowl of cereal under his bed that had been under there for like three weeks. I, it was like, it was so gross. And he's like, oh, look at this. I'm like, oh, dude, that's nasty. <laughs> Your mom's probably wondering where that bowl went. And uh, it was, I think the smell led us there. It, you know, it lets you know, you don't see it, but it lets you know I'm here. I'm still here. I, you don't see me, but I exist, and I'm letting you know about it. Um, my wife relayed to me an interesting story of a woman who um, was going through a divorce. Her husband had cheated on her. And um, before I get into the story, I just want to say I don't condone anything that this woman did, but it serves as an interesting illustration. And the, uh, her husband cheated on her, and they divorced. She got the boot out of the house, and the husband and the woman he cheated with moved in and got to be in the house. So she did a little revenge. She took, the, uh, she took some cat food, some wet cat food, and put it in the poles of the curtain rods at the house and just left it there. And they got a terrible smell in that house. And they, I don't know how long, I don't know when they figured it out, but that, that house started to smell terrible. They couldn't see it, but it was something was letting them know, I'm still here. It stinks, doesn't it? There's something wrong in this home. There's something wrong in this temple. The trash never goes away. You know, in this illustration, the trash is like our sin, and the smell is our conscience, letting us know I'm still around. And after time, people actually forget that they had stuffed their conscience. They forget that, that, that moment in time where they, they said, shut up, conscience, shut up. They forget that. And they go through life, and they have this perpetual unhappiness, this underlying chronic lack of peace and joy and they just can't figure out man why aren't i happy why aren't i happy 
they're suffering, in many cases, from a suppressed, defiled conscience. They shut it up. And it's really self-hatred. Deep down they know, you're a hypocrite. You do things that you don't like people to do to you. You are guilty. The conscience is going off. You ever hear that phrase, people who are not comfortable in their own skin? There's a lot of reasons for this, but this can be one of them. And they have violated the golden rule. We all know it, Matthew 7, 12. All things whatsoever you would have men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The golden rule. Did you know that's implanted, that's hardwired in your brain from birth? You don't have to go to school to learn that. You know that from even before you turn a year old. You understand that. That's in there. By the way, I think as I was studying the conscience, I realized the conscience is one of the best evidences that evolution and atheism are utterly false because there's no good reason for a conscience in the evolutionary atheistic framework. Because if you have a conscience, well, first of all, if survival of the fittest is the law of life, then it's, you may have to do some things to people that are kind of messed up to get ahead. But if getting ahead is the number one goal, then it's justifiable. And the conscience will not let you do that without protest. And it doesn't make any sense in an atheistic evolutionary point of view to have a conscience. Why do we have it? Doesn't it? There's no good reason for it from an evolutionary standpoint. But Genesis 3.15 tells us exactly why we have a conscience. Jesus gave it to you as a gift. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It could be painful. It could condemn us. But it's to lead us to the Savior. Amen. To come broken to the foot of the cross. That's the point of it. Not just to make you miserable, to break you down so Jesus can build you back up. Amen. My Life Today, page 165. She says, the Savior taught this principle, that's referring to the golden rule, to make mankind happy, not unhappy. For in no other way can happiness come. It's telling us we can't be happy unless we obey the golden rule, unless we do to others like we would want them to do to us. Can you think of a time when you would prefer people speak rudely to you? Can you think of a time when you would prefer people lie to you? I can't, honestly. And so that's, a, that's our standard, amen? Just based on our, even our own conscience, but scripture backs it up. Um, again, from manuscript uh, 1, 1892, the happiness of human beings is in their obedience to the laws of God. In their obedience to God's law, they are surrounded with a hedge and kept from the evil. That's another aspect I haven't even gotten into. No one can be happy and depart from God's specified requirements and set up a standard of their own, which they decide they can safely follow. God sets it up. Why? To make us unhappy? No, to make us happy. He, he knows what the happiness path is, and his law is to help, try to help keep us on that path. I saw a really interesting short film. Was it this week or last week? I can't remember which. And it was from a beef farmer in the United Kingdom. And this beef farmer transitioned to becoming vegan. That's kind of a strange thing for a beef farmer to become vegan. But you know what happened? He was cattle farming. It hit, the farm had been in the family for like two or three generations. And at some point, I think it was the Holy Spirit, he started realizing that these cows were not just these machines. They had personalities. They felt pain. They felt affection. They loved each other. They even loved the farmer. Some of them were introverted. Some of them were extroverted. 
Some of them liked to moo a lot, and some were more quiet and kind of hung out in the back. And he realized these are living beings. They have emotions they feel. And as the months and years, this went on for years, rolled on, he started getting more and more bothered. This man's not even a Christian. He just, his conscience was just going off. And it got to the point where he got depressed. And his, they interviewed his wife. And she said um, he was killing those cows, but the one who was being destroyed the most was him. It was destroying him. She says he stopped talking because he just didn't have anything happy to share anymore. It was literally wrecking his life. And he took the, the big leap, and they transitioned to becoming a vegetable farm. Sold all the livestock. It was a really big leap for them. And now they have a successful vegetable farm. But I thought it was so interesting how this man, who separated from uh, Christianity as far as I could tell, his conscience was just going off. And, man, I wouldn't want to be in these cow shoes, but what am I doing? And he was destroying himself. And this is why we're always happier doing, following our conscience, doing the right thing. Even if initially it brings us into conflict, the conflict is going to be on the outside, not on the inside. But you know, when you do the wrong thing, it might bring you peace initially, but you know where the conflict is? It's on the inside. And here's the thing. When you're doing the wrong thing, if you're being dishonest long enough, if you're lying to people long enough, you're eventually going to have conflict on the outside too. So in the long run, the person who is sticking to God, who's staying close to him, who's abiding by his word, he may have conflict. As a matter of fact, we're told he will have conflict on the outside, but he will have perfect peace inside. In the long run, the person who disobeys God and his law will have both conflict on the inside and the outside. Which would you rather be? I know where I'd rather be. Happiness belief number eight. I will always be happier by doing the right thing. Last happiness belief number nine. All right, let's do a little Bible trivia. Fill in the blank. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, the word happy is linked most often with blank experience. In the New Testament, the word happy is most often linked with the experience of blank. Just throw out some guesses. Getting everything you want for Christmas? Probably not. You'd be surprised. I was kind of surprised, kind of not. Persecution. Suffering. That's, uh, we're talking about the New Testament here. Um, When you do a simple search in the King James, that is, the word happy, two-thirds of the verses that will pop up for the New Testament that have the word happy are in the context or directly referring to persecution or suffering. And, you know, as I was preparing the sermon, um, I was thinking... I really can't avoid this. Uh, the New Testament's really making a point here. I, I, I really ought to include this in my sermon. And, you know, this is further amplified when you realize that the word blessed means happy. There's many verses that talk about being blessed when we're persecuted. Now, this seems counterintuitive. Anyone here been persecuted? I've been persecuted for your religious beliefs, for your stance on things. And I could tell you the initial emotion I felt was not happiness. It wasn't Joy and leaping for joy. You ever read those passages and you're like, really? Am I supposed to do that? Leap for joy? How can this be? The Bible gives us a lot of reasons. Oh, by the way, you may have heard that whole idea that um, 
In the Bible, happiness is linked to your circumstances and it's temporary, but joy, it comes from God and it's not based on circumstances. That's actually not true. And I'm going to show you that in one Bible verse. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Joy and happiness are synonyms. 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to look at verse 14. But if ye suffer for righteousness sake, what's it say, friends? Happy are ye and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. So the Bible's telling us right there, is happiness based on circumstances, good circumstances, according to this Bible verse? It's not. If you're going through persecution, the Bible says, be happy, be joyful, be blessed. Uh, next, um, next chapter, chapter 4, verse 13, Peter picks up the same thought. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now, we are told right in this verse why one reason, one of the reasons we could be very happy when we are suffering for Christ's sake. What, what was that? We will be partakers in his glory. If you take part in his suffering, you're going to get his glory too. This actually seems to imply if we don't take part in his suffering, what are we not going to get? His glory. So when you partake in Christ's sufferings, it's for sure, the Bible's assuring you, you are going to partake in his glory. How glorious is Christ's glory? Incredible. You're going to share with that the glory of Jesus. Verse 14, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ... Happy are ye for, here's some more reasons, for the spirit of, of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Some more reasons. Why should you be happy when you're persecuted for righteousness sake? You know something 100% based on this Bible verse. The spirit of God is with you. You have a 100% verification here. God's spirit is with you. It rests on you. And not just that, the very last part of the verse, but on your part, he is what? He is glorified. In evangelism, we do a lot of work. We rent halls. We get our audiovisual equipment together. We get the registration table together. We hold meetings. It's a lot of work. And you know, when the church is doing all this, everyone's just saying, boy, I really hope that people come out. Man, this is a ton of work. I've been coming out here, you know, several nights getting this hall ready. We do advertising because we want to make sure these meetings are packed. We go door to door. We send coal porters. We do Bible studies in the community. We do health meetings. We send out handbills. And you know, it's so sad when there's those meetings where not a lot of people or even no one shows up. That is just heartbreaking. It's so sad to see. But based on what I see about in the early church, you know it's one of the best methods of advertising? Persecution. One of the quickest ways to advertise in the community. Not to be annoying so you get persecuted, but doing the will of God and allowing whatever comes to come. And the Bible promises they that live righteously in Christ will suffer persecution. And when that happens, you're going to be, uh, your church is going to be a light shining in a dark place. Do lights in dark places get attention? Absolutely. They get tons of attention. Why? Because He is glorified. And based on the early church model, persecution grew the church tremendously. It was one of the best evangelism methods they had. And we have more reasons why we should be happy when we're persecuted. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 12. Matthew chapter 5 verse 12. 
Jesus in person gave us this, these reasons. Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. It says, Rejoice and be exceeding what, friends? Exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted the prophets which were before you. So why should we be happy when we suffer persecution based on this Bible verse? Great is what? Yeah, you have a reward in heaven. You're promised. You have a great reward in heaven. Also, it says, uh, who also suffered persecution according to this Bible verse? The prophets. Do you think the prophets are going to be in heaven? If all, all the Jews believe the prophets are going to be in heaven for sure. So if you're on the same road that the prophets are on and they're going to be in heaven, then where are you going to be if you keep walking? He's saying, listen, you have the future glory certain if you stay on this path. It's certain for you. You are going to be glorified. And you know, I've noticed sometimes when you're on the right track, that's when you see the most conflict. My uncle was a head elder at a church in Southern California, and they had a a very troubled young man come to that church. Unfortunately, this young man had gotten involved pretty deep in the occult. And this young man, um, by self-admittance, was demon-possessed. He asked for help. The elders and uh, my uncle, who was head elder at that time, uh, tried to help him. And as they were talking with him in the back room of the church one day, the demon started to manifest itself through this young man. He started attacking them, and it was, I think, three, maybe four men, including my uncle, trying, fighting with a 16-year-old kid, and the, th- the four of them could hardly hold him down. He had so much strength through the demon. And they were fighting with him for about 45 minutes. Just, I mean, my uncle told me all about it. I mean, his glasses were twisted, and, you know, the shirts are ripped. It was just a knockdown, drag-out fight in the back room of the church with this demon-possessed boy. And they were rebuking the demon in the name of Jesus and doing all the things that, you know, they thought they were supposed to do, and nothing. This kid would just just rage and rage and rage, and finally the boy was on the ground. This poor boy was on the ground just exhausted, <sighs> just panting on the ground because he had been fighting, been forced to fight with these four elders for about 45 minutes. And the, they're all sitting there just, oh, what do we do? rebuked the demon in the name of Jesus. We've done everything we could think of. Then someone remembered something. They remembered that this young boy got something in the mail. It was an invitation to become a part of a, for lack of a better word, some kind of a cult, where they would actually hone his, what they said, his innate spiritual capabilities. The letter actually said, the master sees you have great capabilities. And he was supposed to sign it, send it back in the mail, and things were, st- were start- supposed to start happening for him. He held on to it. He didn't sign it. He held on to it. And he had it in his back pocket. What message was that sending to the spiritual world? I'm considering this. I'm thinking about it. Someone, one of those elders finally said, hey, wait a minute. He still got that letter. Well, someone should get that letter. We should just tear it up and burn it and see what happens. As soon as they said that, that boy went ballistic. He got up off the ground, and he just started attacking them. Someone managed to get in his back pocket, get that paper out, go outside of the church and burn it. And he says, as soon as we burn it, Gabriel, it was done in five minutes. It was done in five minutes. The demon had to leave. It was gone. You know, sometimes when you're on the right track, that's when you see the most resistance. 
The Bible tells us that our reward is great in heaven, but it also promises us this world is contrary to the law of God. It is contrary to the ways of Christ. It is contrary to the teachings of Scripture. And sometimes when you're receiving persecution, you can be, not sometimes, all the time, you can be blessed, you can be benefited realizing I am heading in the right direction. If you're persecuted for righteousness sake, is it possibly persecuted for unrighteousness sake? That's entirely possible, isn't it? So we need to make sure it's for righteousness sake and not for, because we've been acting a fool. James 5.11, behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job. Ye have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. So Job is given as an example of scripture of those who, when they suffer, are blessed. And what did, get, what did Job get at the end of his story? How much? He got double. Friends, when you're suffering for righteousness sake, you have double ahead of you. Just know that. You have double blessings going ahead of you. Happiness belief number nine. I am happy I'm blessed when I am persecuted. Why? Because I know I'm on the right track. You're going to get doubly blessed like Job. The Spirit of God is with you, and God is glorified through you. The best evangelism is happening through your life. And it's going to accomplish your ultimate goal, which is to be like Jesus. Because patience, trying of patience worketh perfection. So as we close, I'd like to give people something practical. What if I'm tempted this week to feel like a victim? What if I'm tempted this week to think that happiness is some event in the future? What if I'm tempted this week to resent God because I'm being persecuted for doing the right thing? What should I do? I would like to give you a formula that God has given me that has bailed me out so many times, and I want to pass it on to you. And I want to give it to you in the form of a prayer. It says this, God, I cry out to you. I choose to be happy. I can't, but through you, you can. And quote a Bible verse. And the Bible verse that I've been quoting recently, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Let me say that formula one more time. Please try and memorize this. This has helped me. I can't tell you how many times this has delivered me from a miserable day. Cry out to God. I choose to be happy. God, I can't. God, you can. Quote your Bible verse. That's it right there. And believe it when you quote it. And then get up and move forward like that Bible verse is true. So in summary, happiness belief number seven, I can't, if I can't be happy now, I won't be happy then. Number eight, I will always be happier doing the right thing. Number nine, I am happy, I am blessed when I'm persecuted. Can you say amen to that? God's a wonderful God. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.